Hey everybody, today's show is brought to you by Comedy Bang Bang, the new show on IFC. I guess it's not really new, but it's Scott Ackerman's show, and Scott is hilarious, so you should watch it. Uh, It's on IFC every Friday at 10 p.m. 9 central. Uh, Scott Ackerman is your host. He hosts the Comedy Bang Bang uh, podcast, as well as this TV show, which is an amazing translation of that podcast to an absurd half-hour comedy show. That only looks like a talk show. The band is Reggie Watts. He's the whole band. And Reggie is phenomenal. Every time the camera turns to him, it is something hilarious. Um, he's had all, uh, Scott's had all the biggest names in comedy on this show. Amy Poehler, Zach Galifianakis, Seth Rogen, all those guys. This Friday, Scott's guest is Elizabeth Banks. And he'll also interview a critic who is reviewing the show, which is a great concept. And it's the kind of thing that... Ackerman does so well. Uh, Some other special guests include John Daly, Thomas Lennon. You know Tom Lennon. He was the star of uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Polly Shore. What? Apparently. Uh, David Wayne. Lots of other cool folks. Uh, So check out Comedy Bang Bang this and every Friday at 10 p.m. 9 central on IFC. And now, please enjoy our animation celebration panel. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program and the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Our first panelist has written and produced for the animated series The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. And he co-wrote the TV movie based on that show and won an Emmy for that work. Uh, he's also written for Adventure Time and most recently Disney's Fish Hooks. He co-created the series Out of Jimmy's Head and Don't Get Too Excited. But he may have won a Boston Globe uh, Young Thespian Award when he was a teenager. (laughs) Please welcome Tim McKeon. Thank you for being here, Tim. Hello, thank you for having me. Our next panelist also wrote on Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and was the head writer on Class of 3000. Uh, Most recently, she was the head writer on The Hub's My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Please welcome Megan McCarthy. I wanted to point out that I won the uh, Marietta High School uh, Young Thespian (laughs) Award. I want my credits known as well. Finally, between them, as writer, director, art department, or some other things, uh, which they will tell you all about, our final panelists have had a hand or two in such series as James Bond Jr., Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Simpsons, Family Guy, SpongeBob, and Rocco's Modern Life, where they work together. 
among many other things. They're the creators of the Emmy Award-winning Phineas and Ferb. Please welcome Swampy Marsh and Dan Povenmeyer. It does sound like a U2 concert. It does, right? It's a great crowd. Um, Let's get right into it. Uh, You know, I I was talking to this group before and saying, frankly, we don't know very much about animation. Um, Neither do we. (laughs) We'll all learn from each other. You you look like a group that doesn't know a lot about animation. (laughs) We do. We do. I'm sorry. Um, But please tell us how it's done. Uh, Honestly, whoever wants to jump in, Tim, we were talking before about how there are kind of two types of writing for animation. Uh, Do you want to start with that Uh, as a jumping off point? Yeah, yeah, there's two uh, ways that you uh, do an animated show. and One is a storyboard-driven show, and one is a script-driven show. And the script-driven show is a lot like, I'm guessing you guys know about sitcoms, um, where you just have writers, and you write the script first, and then you... uh, do a storyboard based off that and make the show. And then the um, storyboard, uh, the uh, storyboard driven shows what Dan and Swampy do, which I'm guessing. Yeah. Tell us the to. process for that. It's, uh, it's probably the closest thing to an improv show that you could do in animation. We, we, so? uh, we do an outline, basically what, you know, the, the basic idea of a story. And then we give it to two storyboard artists who sit in a room and, try to make each other laugh and, and flesh out all the jokes and the gags. and So all the dialogue is actually written during that process. And then they pitch it to us and, and some of the writers uh, after about two weeks and we, we punch it up and we say, hey, you know, you're going down this weird path here where, you know, because people will they'll start doing a gag here and that will lead to another gag which will lead to another gag and they all often lead further away from the story. Depending on and, how warped uh, and demented the specific storyboard artist yeah. is, <laughs> is just what strange areas that story can go into. Sometimes it turns out like the outline, and, and sometimes there's nothing in there's it. There's no the resemblance. Well, that was going to be my yeah. question. I mean, how thorough an outline do you guys give your storyboarders? We try to keep it un- under three pages. Okay. So yeah. they do have quite a bit of freedom. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, they, they get the writing credit on the, oh, on, really? on the show. It's written and storyboarded by these guys. They, a story by the, the writer mm-hmm. who actually generates the outline. One, one of those methods requires a lot more faith from the people writing the check to let you make it. <laughs> yes. Which, which is the terrible moment for them is that we're spending a lot of money and now we're just going to trust that you'll do something presentable. Well, when we when we <laughs> sold the show, for is presentable. <laughs> well, when we sold the show, they they were going to have us write a script, and I said, "Don't don't have us write a script." This yeah. is the, it, first of all, two of the main characters don't speak really. You know, Ferb has one line per episode, and Perry the platypus just goes, you know, and. And so we we said uh, don't don't have us write something. You can pay us the same that you would write, uh, you know, you would for writing a script. But we should r- do a storyboard because that's how Swampy and I always work, always work together on Rocco's because Modern Life. Was we're afraid of words. And uh, <laughs> and so so we storyboarded and wrote it at the same time, just the way we used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it uh, you know the the uh, the pilot. Went over big, you know. We, I pitched it to the network, and then they they were like, "Oh, and you well, pitched here. it with storyboards." Yeah, we pitched it actually in uh, in power. Stand up with a pointer. You do the voices, yeah. and yeah, you know. and uh, and we you know we pitched it to the head of TVA, TV animation, and uh, and then like two days later, they wanted me to come back and pitch it to 
to the head of the of the channel because they had heard how well the pitch went, and then you know, and, and suddenly they were all into this. Oh, I like it when they pitch us a show. It's not, you know, it's like you know, they never wanted like, that before. Like we now, now everybody, <laughs> you know, they they wanted everybody after us to do it the same way, which doesn't always work. Some people are not really good in a room. Some people are much better on on paper. We're very good in a room, so so it was a lot easier. But still, we made the pilot. Uh, it tested through the roof and they still wanted us to do it two more times before they would pick up the show because they just didn't understand how that was going to work. You're like, wait, we're, so we're, we're not going to see anything until the, you know, sure. a, a, until it really, it's I already been drawn. There. You know, it's like yeah. a band they pick up that their first album is songs they've been playing for 20 years and then the second yeah. album is a whole lot of nothing. What? Yeah. So, you know. Well, and you also so, sort of had to, I mean, it seems so bizarre, but you were teaching them this process yeah. in a way. Yeah, the yeah. process that Walt Disney pretty much yeah. invented. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, they, I don't know what was, and we can kind of get into this later, but uh, never mind, I'll ask it later when I want to get into it. Um, <laughs> But I would imagine, I mean, uh, uh, Foster's was a scripted show, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's, like you say, a lot closer to what we know from like a comedy sitcom, uh, non-animated show. Um, but this storyboarding process of scripting uh, seems like it takes a long time. <laughs> it doesn't really take much longer. Than, uh, how long do you guys get to, to go off and write a script? Uh, usually two to three weeks, I guess, yeah. For, yeah. for a half hour. So that's exactly the same amount of time we get to yeah. to do this. It, it is four man weeks because there's two people doing it. And that was my question is, yeah. uh, you know, how many teams do you have of storyboarders going at any given time? Currently running six teams, I think. Six oh, wow. teams. So yeah, we have, we have 12 writers who are also artists. Mm-hmm. And... and you, Hiring someone who, you know, people who can draw funny pictures you'd think would also be able to structure funny jokes. And it's two different, you know, halves of no. the brain. And so that, that limits our talent pool considerably. Sure. Uh, is Fishhooks uh, scripted or is it? Fishhooks was storyboard director. Sto- well. Storyboard director. So that's what yes. Megan and I worked on. Yeah. So had you guys yeah. done storyboarded shows before that? I did Adventure Time. And that was a story. And that was a story. And that was my okay. first one that I'd done. Yeah. And how was that for you? Because before that, you had done scripted stuff in live action and animation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it was great. Like I loved Adventure Time, but um, it was definitely like a process that I had to get used to. Sure. I mean, I think what I learned from that process was the helpful thing on that was Penn Ward, as the creator, was in the room, yeah, uh, all the time. Yeah. And it was, I think, as a writer, like you definitely got to ideas that you wouldn't have gotten. Without right. having the artists in the room, like the oh, way yeah. I'm curious how you guys do it, but we always had in Adventure Time, there was always him doodling and like kind of drawing as we were pitching, right? Around pitching stories, stories. pitching stories okay. to him, pitching jokes, and then in Adventure Time there was a lot of like you would pitch specific like dialogue things, mm-hmm. which were so weird and so crazy. <laughs> I mean, I think that's also like such a weird show. You kind of need him in the room yeah, for that to like find like what kind of weird. It's very you want. non-linear. That yeah, show yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you'd like you'd pitch like a pot, and he's like, "Don't pitch a pot, pitch a frying pan." Like, you idiot! And you're clearly. like, oh. but then by the end, you're like, "I know to pitch the frying pan. I'm a genius." So is, is that your Thurup uh, impersonation? That's my uh, yeah. that's my that's all my impersonations, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Good. You'll hear that continually. You know, I found that the process, uh, the the storyboard driven process is tough for the writers because we have writers churning out these outlines that they work really hard on, you know, to craft them. And then you hand them to two people who may or may not use any part of that. Sure. Mm. Yeah. 
And so you can see there's that moment when they think, I really, really worked hard on that, and they've just binned the entire thing. And Probably the hardest part of the process for us on this show is because most of the shows we'd worked on that were done this way, there became this rift between the people who are generating the outlines who are considered writers and the board artists who are actually writing the dialogue and were often not even given a writing credit on it. And... And when they would change stuff that the, that the, the, that the outline writers had done, there, there, there sort of became this us and them thing yeah, on every yeah, show yeah, that yeah, I worked yeah. on uh, like that. Maybe not as much on SpongeBob. I think sp- by SpongeBob, Steve had sort of figure, figured out how to sort of get everybody included together. And we, so we've, we've tried to keep the people who wrote the outlines are there at the, at the you know, like whenever we have a, the preliminary talk with the people so that the, the, with the board, board teams so that they're able to figure out, you know, it, they're, they're able to, to uh, put their input there and, and stuff. And so... Um, and I've been very proud that it really feels like one big team. And we, I don't feel like there's ever this, you know, they're, oh, they're, they're just doing three pages of, of outline and we're doing this and stuff. They actually go, sometimes they'll say, oh, God, I don't know what to do. Can I, can I, can I pull some of the writers in and just th- pitch okay. stuff up on the wall? And, you know, and we'll, you know, on the, like the third week we do a, a, a punch-up pitch where they pitch it to us and the writers and sometimes, you know, Swampy and I will just, uh, you know, especially after f- first season, we started getting a lot busier with all the other stuff that was going on. And sometimes we just say, okay, you know, just keep the writers, because the writers are all, a lot of them are sitcom writers who are really good at dialogue and structuring, uh, structure, structuring lines. Sometimes we just say, you know, hey, all you guys sit in here and just put a bunch of stuff up on the walls, and, and then the board artists sort of choose what to keep and what, what not to keep. It used to be that we would be the ones in there saying, keep this, throw this out, throw this, you know. We've sort of given that to the board artists, and I think that, that, that they feel... We're, we're way too important for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there's certain... It ends up being just not enough time in the day. Well, you also, you try to, you try to do your best to, you know, we, we really created a very complex show. It's three storylines that come together and real definite rules that we didn't want broken. Uh, and I, I think... By, you know, we're rolling into fourth season now. Most people get that. Mm-hmm. And we can step away, which is really good. It, it puts people back in control of their shows. And it's, uh, you know, it's making them feel a, a whole lot more ownership for it. And we've got some really talented people. So it's great, great to be able to step back and kind of let it, a lot of it happen without you. Yeah, and I would imagine you know, you're sort of fostering that collaboration that you do get in a traditional writer's room. Uh, which I'm curious about on Ponies, for example, which is a scripted show, right? Do you guys have a writer's room? Uh, we or do is not, it freelance? We don't. It's, it's all uh, freelance. This is the other thing about animation that seems yeah. nuts to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell us about those. So, so yeah, it's, it's different in that um, they are half-hour shows and, and scripted, but we don't have a full-time writing staff. Yeah. So um, we'll, I'll... I was the head writer for, or I'm the head writer for season three. So um, I just had to generate a bunch of premises, mostly on my own. Um, Just in a in a room by yourself in a vacuum. In a a room by myself. I mean, there was some, but we had kind of a writer's summit at the kind of at the beginning. Did they give you a window at least? But sort sort of. Oh, like to jump out of. Um, (laughs) How many uh, episodes in a season? uh, Thirteen. Okay. 
So um, it's not like you're doing 40 episodes. No, but, um, but, but the usual a typical lot. season is 26. It okay. was a, a shortened yeah. season. It's really not that much of an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, when, it's before, when you said it was 13, I was like, oh, it's not really good. Breaking Bad does that. So there'll be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, be a premise, which will be, you know, one to three paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it will, I'll assign it to a, a writer. And um, we'll meet uh, the two of us, or what I tried to do to create more of a writer's room was assign, to, assign premises out so I would have two writers come yes. in and they would help each other. And that's so right. we could have three because I think that's just a better yeah, dynamic. And, um, and then we'll just break the, uh, break the story out into the different beats, the different acts. And, and then let's actually, let's get specific for a minute. Uh, so you're, you're sitting in a room, presumably, at the hub. And, uh, Sometimes. <laughs> Do you break it on the board? Do you have an assistant there to write for we, you? We what, did, tell us we how it works. We do not have an assistant. <laughs> um, that we'll have a big, uh, usually, hopefully, depending on what room they put us in, we will have a whiteboard, and um, we'll just have Act 1, Act 2, okay. Act 3 up on the board. And um, you know, we'll have a premise that usually what we try to, to have accomplished in the premise stage is that there's a clear sort of inciting incident for the episode and clear what the conflict mm-hmm. will be. And sort of usually I try to hopefully have like what's our end of the first act, what's our end of the mm-hmm. second act kind of within the premise. So those can kind of go up on the board first. Um, and then we'll just break it out into the individual scenes and the different beats of, of the episode. So you get a very so thorough are there, outline. Are there times when you are the only writer on staff in the building? Is it, is it, or Well, I'm not even in the building. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, are I you work, sometimes in a, a room by yourself? I am in a room by myself at my house. <laughs> that's just crazy. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. That's, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've definitely gone like insane in my. Yeah. There are so many other things I would do rather than my job if yeah. I was left. There's at Facebook in my room <laughs> with a computer. <laughs> there's there's Facebook. Yeah. There's you know. Adult I'm not websites. saying I'm always working there's, in that room. <laughs> I'm just saying that that is where I'm expected to be. Okay. Garage band itself could take. Yes, I mean. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we'll, it, dep- it kind of depends on on who's um, who, which of the writers is writing the script. Mm-hmm. Because um, with some people, you can say, okay, so and so does this, they're going to do this, act ends this way. There's going to be some conflict in the middle. Go, mm-hmm. and they'll fill in those. They'll be able to fill in those gaps themselves. Um, and then with other writers, they really want to really break the story into what every scene will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll get uh, some time to do an outline. Then the outline uh, comes to me, and I'll give notes. They'll make revisions, and it'll go to the network. We'll get notes, mm-hmm. which ho- usually the notes on the outline are, here's our notes, but go write the script. And then the, someone will write the script. It'll come to me. I'll give them notes, and you know, we'll kind of trade okay. back and forth. And I'm, then sometimes I'll just rewrite things. If It's sort of like writing with a pen pal then, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I, 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 oh, I'm very fond of Skype right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sure, I would imagine for those kinds of notes, calls, and meetings and stuff. I mean, yeah, you bring wild. up a weird thing. That with, when we're working with these folks, we have six teams of people who all work very differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no consistency between any of the teams, and you have to get used to some people aren't going to have many drawings at all at the two-week. Other people, it's all drawings and all temp dialogue, and it's all supposed to fit into the schedule. Wow. And you have to manage people who yeah, clearly have no consistency <laughs> in their lives at all. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it's what, like wrestling with an octopus, <laughs> I think. What was your, uh, for you guys, and you guys have all had the, this experience, so I want to go down the line, but starting with uh, Swampy and Dan, what was your um, 
experience in managing other people before starting this, before Phineas well, and Firm. Steve Levitan uh, said, said in, a, in a panel that we, we, we saw the other day that, uh, that when, you, when you were, you know, you, you become the manager at a bank, you're, you know, you're, you're the peon and then you're in charge of five people, you know, you're in charge, then you're in charge of a department of, you know, 12 people and then, you, then you're in charge of 40 people and then you're suddenly in charge mm-hmm. of 60 people. Um, and in TV writing, you work on one show, you're, you're a writer on one show, and a writer on another show, a writer on another show, and then suddenly you're in charge of 200 people. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's a little bit different for, uh, for us because we've been, you know, I, I was a director and a writer, so, so I've been in charge of, you know, my team as a director so, and, 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 and moved up from there. But uh, but it is suddenly they're just throwing you into deep water, and, and ho- hopefully you're good at working with people and keeping them from killing each other. That's that you know. If you can achieve that, that's really good. <laughs> yes, the, La- the lack of bloodshed yeah, is considered. Blood. <laughs> I went the other way. I was in business until I was 28. Oh, I really? was my last job was vice president of sales and marketing for a computer really? accessories company. Um, back when we up were up till s- last year, yeah. <laughs> I was 28. We finally I... said no more moonlighting in this <laughs> computer. That I think I, I think the animation thing is working out. out for you. Yeah. I think this is a permanent thing. I mean, that's that's what I did was manage teams mm-hmm. of folks, and then I got into animation and decided that I just wanted to be left alone at a table to draw things, and I didn't want to manage anybody, really? and wanted nothing to do with it, and then ended up back in that career, but. <laughs> Now I'm doing it for for good instead of evil. Uh, you know, it's something that I really enjoy managing people for, and 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 it's a lot more fun and a heck of a lot more rewarding. So. That's great, um, Megan. What was your experience? I mean, you were, you were the head writer on Class of Three Thousand, also. I was. And how did that compare to this? Uh, what did you learn being thrown in from writer to head writer? Um, we had such a just a fun room and a good group of people, and um, kind of the different. I would say the difference between that and, and Pony is that that was all staffed writers. Mm-hmm. So was, they, that, was that a network primetime show? Am it, I remembering that yes, correctly? Yes, well, it was Cartoon Network. Okay. That counts as a network, right? It has network it was, on the it end. Was a pri- it was like a primetime show, right? Uh, it wasn't yeah. a Saturday morning. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess, I mean, the, I was just going to say the difference between Class 3000 where we did have a writer's room is that everybody did have to be there every, every day and everybody was contributing and everybody didn't have six other freelance projects that they were working on. So the, the tougher part with, with Pony is that there isn't a staff. Everybody is freelancing and working on lots of different things at the same time. So it's keeping everybody motivated and keeping them you know, invested in this particular script that they're working on, which fortunately I have people who are because they really love working on Mm-hmm. on the show but um but yeah it's just staying on top of people and getting them to, to how, turn things how do you get them motivated i just send out a lot of emails that are like hey what's going on <laughs> remind them ETA, of your existence <laughs> which usually happens because like the the studio b up in canada is like hey what's going on eta <laughs> um so uh but um but yeah i think part of part of uh managing is getting people who are good at what they do, mm-hmm. like being there, and and uh, are smart, funny people. And then it's a lot easier than. Where it. did you find these writers that you work with? 
And how many do you, you know, is the pool that you pull from? Uh, a lot of people were, uh, because I came on after another story mm-hmm. editor, so um, a lot of people were people that, um, that had been there and had knew the sh- already knew the show, and so obviously you want to keep people around that already know the voices of the characters and stuff. Um, and then just a couple other people that I had worked with on other things, mm-hmm. bringing them on as well. Uh, and Tim, what was the first show that you ran? Um, out of Jimmy's head at Cartoon Network. Oh, okay. The yeah, one you yeah. co-created. That's right, yeah. Um, so how was it going from writer to showrunner? Uh, amazing. What, amazing. <laughs> what did you learn? So what powerful. Was, what, was the, <laughs> what was the learning curve in that first uh, well, I think, you know, I mean, beginning I think, of it? You know, I, was, I had been a writer for like four or five years, like a staff writer on a bunch of shows. So I think, I mean, I think you just take... You have good bosses and bad bosses, and you try to be the good boss. When you know, you, you think about like, what didn't I like about this experience with this boss? I didn't like being completely rewritten. Which, and I and, think that says a lot about the the person you are, though, because I know people. Because I always tried to do the, do as a boss what. I wanted the the previous bosses I had to to, mm. to act uh, rather than uh, you know th- than the bad thing and, and I know so many people will get to that position and they and they hold on to this bitterness of how uh, you know w- what a jerk someone had been to them and I was like now it's my turn I can be jerks to, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. and uh, oh my god that's you know. what my problem has been <laughs> <laughs> well, I was you know that was my roundabout way of sort of pointing a finger at Swampy it feels so uh, stupid when you but... say it out loud it makes sense <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we could have you guys to work this out <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a public forum is always best yeah, yeah. Um, um, but so what were some of the good things that you took with you well, I think I mean I think I think the best writers and I have mostly worked in writers' rooms mm-hmm. where you really do have a staff and you're showing up every day like nine. What were some of those shows leading uh, up? Fa- to? Well, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Oh, you had a room. Yeah, that's great. And Megan and I worked on, and that was you were there every day and mm-hmm. you mostly had story meetings and there were times where you were off on script. I was on this new show called Gravity Falls, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a writers' room. And then I'm on a new show now. Called Wander Over Yonder, and that's a writer's room. So, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, Craig McCracken created that, um, and uh, and he created Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends too. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, I think as far as like run like hiring and running mm-hmm. a staff, I mean I think you really want. It's funny. There's a balance between really really talented and funny people and really nice people. Sure. Like you really, if you're spending, if you have a room, especially, you just want to spend time in a room with really nice, like creative, positive people. And you sometimes, it's funny. There's you sometimes value that over talent. Sometimes, sure. Oh, this has come up a lot here on these panels. It's you know, no jerks. Yeah, yeah, that's super talented. But there's people that are really nice folks, but some of their work habits Mm -hmm. are. Really difficult. Sure. And you really have to weigh out. You know, some of these folks give you the just sparks of incredible genius. But it's difficult managing that because you still have to get a show out on time and their process can be completely alien to anything that fits onto a schedule <laughs> and it's trying yeah. to manage that because you yeah. know you want that genius and that incredible stuff but sometimes that comes with trying to figure out different ways to motivate them or to, you know, to, to help them out to get through the other stuff. It's, it's yeah. a real tricky thing. Sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you have to be talented too. You know, you know if you, as nice as the person is, if they're horrible, <laughs> yeah, if they're like exactly. horrible nice. jokes, Which would, they're so nice. They're so did, nice, aren't they? Did you read uh, Tina Fey's book? I did. I loved it. Yeah. I love what she says is, is that you know there there are people who are absolutely brilliant comic writers and very funny people that you would not want to run into at four a.m. in right. in a hallway in a, in a dark a dark building. You know, like there, there's there's people that you just think, okay, I'm going to go see them, but I'm not going to hire them. You know, it's like you yeah, have to yeah. find that, that mix of somebody who's talented, but also somebody you could live with, because you're really living with somebody when you hire them on a show. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You become family. Yeah, and I, I think the best shows that I've worked on, when it's a writer's room, like, you're really, like, sharing the same brain. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm, like, I think on Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, it was like this. Like, I, I was a better writer. By like I write better with other people, just bouncing around ideas, and and it's fun. It's way more fun. It's way more fun because then you also like can sort of calibrate, and you're like, well, they're laughing. That must be amazing. No, I, yeah. I knew I, I was am, amazing, but I must I am, really be amazing. I'm clearly a collaborator. I cannot. I mean, you talk about sitting in a room all your own. I could sit there for a year and would never complete anything if I don't have somebody to spark off. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's why I ended up working so well with Dan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, sit and write something on my own. Yeah. Oh, God, well, yeah, I, I think no. you also have to sort of if you're with other people you have to defend it a little bit like there's yeah. people mm-hmm. in your, and when people start asking questions you need to have answers for why the story does work or why you know when we were doing the pilot for Phineas um, Swampy uh, Swampy was living in the UK and he flew out here and we wrote the outline together and he went back to the UK and I was taking a trip to, through France with uh, with my wife's family this big Venezuelan family can, can I interrupt to say your lives yeah. sound amazing <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, yeah well it, 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 thank it, you it's very much good. it's pretty good but Megan's was, in a room a windowless yeah, room yes, yes. I'm yeah. she's in a broom yeah. closet and uh, but uh, but it was it was a it was an interesting thing because I was doing the actual storyboard and so I was sort of like the board team and Swampy and I had written the, the outline together and and so I, I boarded the whole thing during this vacation from from the hours of like 9 or 10 at night when all the Venezuelans would fall asleep <laughs> to about 5 in the morning when the when the sprinklers uh, would come on at the a beautiful we, 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 villa we in France and, and then you had the feeling of being superior to Venezuelans huh? you know, just like superiority yeah, well, to this race no, I, I wasn't drinking I think is what that really came down to but uh, but uh, but they'd all go to sleep around 10 o'clock I would I got my drawing pad out and sat in this in, in like the main room of this place we were rent- renting and 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 drew, and it was maddening because there was so much stuff that I was like, "Oh, I really, I, I, I would, could I call Swampy and pitch this to you know?" It, and uh, we ended up then going back through the UK on the way way back, and and I sort of pitched it all to oh, him wow. and and stuff. But it, but being there in a room with everybody asleep, it was like my wife was even asleep. She was seven months pregnant. I wasn't going to go wake her up and right. pi- you know pitch a gag. To, right, hey, what if Doofenshmirtz goes, ah, Patty, that, you know, it's like, it, it just... It's like you're endangering yeah, your baby. I, I, I would have just, just got punched right in the eye. That did you know? not stop my husband yeah, at all no, when I, really. he was working on a show and that, hey, I got to yeah. turn this into work. Yeah, no, I, you know, creating in a vacuum, that's why, why I was like, that's just, uh, that, you know, especially if you're trying to write something that's funny. If, you know, I know people who work on, 
on you know law and order and stuff like that and and they like to go off and just right. just work out mm. the story themselves but i think writing writing something that's supposed to be light and funny and 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 uh, and make people chuckle is very hard if you don't have anybody to make chuckle yeah but, you know yeah, I, you, I, you, I totally you, you lose objectivity yeah 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 cuz i laugh at all of my jokes <laughs> yes <laughs> They are all genius. How do you find them? And the I do ones? require somebody to tell me, yeah. no, not so much. Uh, well, while we're on the subject, uh, let's talk about pitching and selling that show. Where did it come from? Was it something you, one of you had been living with or both of well, you had we, been living with? Swampy and I were writing on a show called Rocco's Modern Life that was done this... Done, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very and, much. Uh, and we were writing, and, and, and they just th- sort of threw us together as a writing team. Uh, we had known each other on The Simpsons. He was a background guy, and I was a character guy in the... On the, on the Simpsons and, uh, and we both went to work on this thing they threw us together as a writing team they thought it would work well and then it r- worked really well we just, we just really loved writing together and we thought well let's just create a show together we'll sell it we'll get it on the air and we'll, well never have to stop working together <laughs> let, me, let me stop yeah. you there what, what was it about writing together that just clicked can you, you know, put your just, finger on it well we made each other funnier yeah. because we would not say um we would say stuff just to make the other person laugh that were not serious pitches. Like, like I remember saying, one of us saying, oh, it'd be funny in, in this scene if Rocco was, was riding the dead horse from four scenes ago instead of, you know, like, you know, like, like oh, that'd be funny if he was riding the dead horse, you know. Mm-hmm. And just as a joke to make the other person laugh. And then, then I, I think that's probably what I said in Swamp. He said, no, 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 wait, wait. wait. <laughs> we could do this. We could do that. We can, <laughs> we can put it on casters. And suddenly I was like, oh, my gosh, I know this guy who, who when his dog died, he had it stuffed and put on casters and they <laughs> carried it around with them, uh, you know, like, like the kids dragged it from room to room as though it was still alive and eventually got so rotten that they threw it in a fire. And <laughs> from there, we got a dynamic yes. chase scene yeah. and, 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 and with that's, humor and a song. That was like the first episode we wrote together, and, and it's still something I have on my reel because, yeah. because the, we did this chase scene with Rocco pull, you know, like being pulled behind a, uh, a truck on a dead horse that's on casters. And, and, and it just became this sort of r- weird Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ichabob Cr- Crane kind of, uh, oh kind of chase. It was, it was, but it was also, really I, the, the, one of the joys about writing with Dan is he's just one of those people that, you, for me, I can sit in a room and pretty much say anything, and it'll never be anything that you take offense at. We can well, have I take offense all the time. Arguments. I just don't let him know. <laughs> as long as I don't know, I'm yeah. fine. Yes. Um, and he's just one of those folks who can say, yeah, we beat it around and go, ah, oh, that's just stupid. Yes. <laughs> we often Dan, say... you go, okay. Fine. We often say, look at each other and go, no, that's, that would be a bad idea. <laughs> and, and I've always felt I could say anything. And it's, you know, you can have the argument and there's never any resentment held yeah. afterwards. It's just, it's really easy to work that way. And you don't find folks like that that no. often. No. We had all the same comedy touchstones growing up. Like and, what? Uh, Rocco. Uh, when we were working on Rocco, we were listening to uh, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, on cassette a tape a lot. Um, <laughs> but you know things like uh, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Monty Python, Monty Python, the Chuck Black Jones. Adder. Mm-hmm. You know all yeah. of these things that we found out we had in common. So the yeah. same types of humor made right. us laugh, made it easy. Interesting. Uh, I'd like to ask that same question uh, to you, Megan. What were the things you were watching, listening to? putting into your eyes and ears uh, growing up that kind of formed you as a writer? Uh, gosh, as a writer. Um, I mean, I was a big 
uh, Star Wars and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff fan as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and any kind of Spielberg stuff. Those are the definitely the the memories that I have of mm-hmm. of experiencing films and things like that. Um, but I don't really know what kind of made me want to write or was really influencing me as a writer. I don't. I can't point to something and say that's the thing. I think I was interested in a lot of things and, and sort of changed what I wanted to be what I, when I grew up all mm-hmm. the time. And then at one point it hit me like, oh, you just want to be like an astronaut because you saw Space Camp, the movie. Or like, oh, you just want to be a lawyer because you thought A Few Good Men was really cool. Or, <laughs> or <laughs> whatever. And I started to realize more that it was just that writing gave me this opportunity to, mm-hmm. to do and be all these, these different different things without having to pursue that many degrees. Sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. uh, without all the hard work. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It all really comes from When did you become it. aware that TV and film are things that are written and that this is a, well, viables in quotation marks, but <laughs> a, a career choice? Um, I had an uncle who was a, uh, or is a screenwriter, um, that uh, I wasn't allowed to read any of his screenplays because my mom said they were too passionate. <laughs> Which I just think, I think he, they're all, they all had sex scenes in them. So I wasn't they, all, they upset the humors. She was very old-fashioned. Um, uh, so I you know, knew that it was something that you could do mm-hmm. when, when you grew up. And, and like I said, when I realized, like, oh, all these things that I keep thinking I want to do when I grow up. And I always loved writing, but... Mm-hmm. Realizing, like, oh, you can do lots of different things and and uh, experience different things by being a writer. Um, I, I mean, I kind of realized that's that was the choice I was going to do after I graduated from college, and then I thought I'm going to go to film school and 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 try to, to pursue this. So I, so I didn't know for sure I was going to be. A- so the early steps were you went to film school and kind of learned the language of screenwriting. I did, I yeah. Exactly. Uh, and where did you go after that? How did you wind up in animation? Um, well, I, uh, I went to Florida State for film school and then um, graduated and was like, well, I could move to L.A., but I don't know what I would do there. You know, I had like one spec and was kind of like, I should probably write some what other was stuff. It? Do you remember? Um, it was called uh, When She Says Jump, and it's about a guy who uh, agrees to uh, have his ex-wife murdered to get his child's trust fund so that his new wife can start a cheesecake company. <laughs> so you can see that one was I would just... see that movie. <laughs> well, wasn't that Ponies episode that? 21? Yeah. I, it, I'm, it's a crazy that didn't get made because it's just like you can see the poster. It's so high concept. It, it really is. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a lot of those out there, but that one sounds I, original. Um, well, you decided not to come to But LA. Yeah, I, I, I decided that I would la- rather live somewhere that was a little cheaper. <laughs> so um, I stayed uh, in Atlanta, which is where I uh, grew up, and then um, actually sent that script uh, for the Disney Screenwriting Fellowship. And um, won, I guess, that's what you call it. And so got to move out here uh, to do that fellowship, and, and then that was kind of... And that, but that fellowship sort of leads you to... Live action TV, right? That, and and that was actually they they uh, I, I assume they still do it the same way now. Uh, they had a feature side and a TV right. side, and mine was on the feature side. Oh, sure. So I kind of started off more in features. And um, my my husband had been working at Cartoon Network in Atlanta, and then he ended up moving out here and and got into writing on animation. And um, so he kind of brought me into a project he was working on, and then I just kind of stuck with it. Sure. 
That's great. Uh, Tim, same question. Um, is your husband in animation? Uh, he is. Yeah, Megan and I have the same husband. That's, uh, uh, that's how she ended up on this panel. <laughs> now, what, uh, what was the early influence on you? What was the stuff that you responded to as a kid or as you know, an early consumer of entertainment? Um, I, I love Monty Python, too. Um, and... I, I actually had this very clear memory of watching Saturday Night Live. Really? When I, I guess I lived like a pretty sheltered life because I didn't discover it existed until like 13 <laughs> years old. And then like, right. and one night I was and like, we just stayed up late, and I was like, "This is on every Saturday night." <laughs> this is the sad part for Swampy and I. It didn't actually exist until we were 13 years old. <laughs> um, so I loved that. Was like. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, and that was like a good age of that. But I love old Steve Martin movies. Like I love The Jerk, and I loved uh, The State, uh, New Kids, uh, Kids on the Block. Uh, kid, wait, New Kids, New Kids on the, new kids on the Block. Kids on the block. I love the, imagine the I just go on influence. for thirty minutes about I, New Kids I on the Block. I think he means Kids in the Hall. I mean Kids in the Hall. Sure. I don't think he does. Yeah. <laughs> kids in the Hall. Uh-huh. New Kids on the Block, where it was, was really good comedy too. <laughs> it was. It was in a different <laughs> way. A different, in a meta yeah. way. They just weren't trying. That I appreciate. Right. Yeah. Um, that sounds like I don't know what kids in the hall are. Like I looked, I got Googled it before I came. I'm gonna like this. Um, yeah, kids, kids in the hall. Um, so you're are, getting into the sketch stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah. this was the comedy that helped form you. Did you know? Were you writing as like a teenager? Yeah, I was writing like little plays, like one act plays that I put up in high school and um, stuff like that. And then I went to uh, USC. Okay. For grad school, so that got me out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and did you go to USC uh, film school? I did. Like yeah. you knew this was this is it. I'm going to. Well, I knew I wanted to do TV and uh, playwriting, mm-hmm. kind of. But and then I quickly realized playwrights <laughs> starve. They starve to death. Um, but their integrity. They do have their integrity. <laughs> yeah. Amazing integrity. Um, so, but um, but yeah, I moved out to LA to be at USC. And the first thing I did was I my first day here, I got a fax machine. And um, thank you. Um, <laughs> I like there's like three people here yeah. who know what a fax machine is. Um, and then I faxed like every TV show really? that, to get an internship because I was going to school. Um, and the best thing was at the time there's a show, uh, Just Shoot Me. And so I was doing all these follow-up calls. And the woman who picked up the phone at Just Shoot Me, she goes, Just Shoot Me. <laughs> like she really was like really wanted She was like so That's dark. Amazing. Um, but, and then I got an internship at the Drew Carey show. Okay. And I think the only reason I got the internship is because I showed up. Well, the guy like interviewing me was in like a t-shirt and like flip flops, and and I was like such a country mouse, and I like showed up in a suit, and like and not I'm from Massachusetts, so not even just a suit, but like the suit with the patches. Sure. On the like, you know, Absolutely. yeah. And uh, like I looked like I was dead, dead poet society, like a toggle coat and everything. Um, but uh, and the reason, and so we had this interview, and he's like, oh, hey, but you can't park. It was at Warner Brothers. He's like, you can't park on the lot. And I was like, oh, it's okay, because I don't have a car. <laughs> and he's like, how did you get here? And I was like, oh, I had to take these buses, like multiple buses. Oh <laughs> and I think the only reason I got it was because they just wanted to see if I could do it, like <laughs> physically get there to the studio. And I did. There was probably an office pool going on right, yeah, 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 of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of how often you could actually make it to the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it was nice that uh, that was, I was just, I would, I was like, below the guy getting coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, I would get coffee for the guy getting coffee because he's so exhausted getting coffee for everyone. Um, but uh, it was very demystifying, I think, to see actual writers and just to meet 
<laughs> real people and, and just be like, you take nothing oh, else these are from just these panels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you see actual writers, the yeah, glamour yeah, yeah. will be gone. Yeah, you're like, I'm way funnier. I don't than know. Them. The mystery about them is how do they actually function <laughs> regularly? Like, get their bills paid, go to the grocery store, cook no. food. Operate a, a washing machine. <laughs> they so, bring up so many questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that was just again, it must have been eye-opening for you about just how a show works. Yeah. Uh, but then you were in the world. I mean, I imagine that must have made things easier for next steps or writers' it's, assistant jobs. I mean, like I'm. That. It's really like it's just meeting people. Mm-hmm. It's. I, I mean, whenever anybody asks me about like writing in LA I was like you have or writing in general you, like, you have to move to LA yeah. you just have to I'm guessing it's the same with you guys like the way I got my first script was I was working at uh, Universal Studios I was a writer's assistant on this CIA drama which was like a horror it was a great show like, but I was a horrible fit for me and I was just doing research but I think we'll pay off in this amazing Trivial Pursuit game one day I'd just be like, I'd be like if anyone wants to know about Belarus you know quite a bit that's um, why you were always pitching those Belarus jokes. Yes, that's true, yeah. It's all coming together. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of Belarus episodes of Fosters. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, and, uh, but down the hall from me was this cartoon mm-hmm. uh, called Sitting Ducks, and I just kind of became friends with them. And I was like, I like what you're doing better than what, I can, what I'm doing. And, um, and they're like, you talk weird. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, but um, they kept complaining. Whenever I saw them at like, the coffee room or anything, they were just saying... They were complaining about all their writers and how they like, weren't doing, like, getting good scripts. And I was like, how about I write for free and just wow. write a script? And then if it's any good, like, that's great. And if how did not, you have time to write for free when you were a writer's assistant on a network show? I was, I, it's, it's surprisingly, Ben, it's a different part of the brain that thinks about Belarus than uh, <laughs> writing for cartoons. I didn't know you worked for free. Would you like to come I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my thing. That's what I'd like to put that out there. That would help our budget out free. a lot. I'm... I don't think we ever pun- paid him for the punch-up we had him in on. So. Really? Yeah, nice. So. <laughs> um, um, but... Uh, so yeah, you basically did a freelance episode of this show. Yeah, and then and then it was it was uh, halfway decent, and then they made it. Oh, so insane. yeah, so then that was like sort of my pro- one produced credit, <laughs> and that's how I got into animation. And that kind of gets the ball rolling. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was the early stuff that you guys did? I know you you guys haven't been partners that long. No, comparatively, well, you know the thing was we we decided to sell a show so that we could continue to be partners, and then yeah. we literally didn't even work in the same studio. For twelve years, and before, you know, after after Rocco, he was working on at uh, on uh, on uh, King of the Hill, and I went yeah. over to to Nickelodeon, and I was on SpongeBob, and then I was at Family Guy, and and he was in the UK. Hanna-Barbera it was like literally while, we separated then, yeah. by an ocean for for a large portion of that, and uh, and you know, and, and then it was just sort of nice when you know, like when when I called him when when Disney said they were going to buy the show, I, you know, so I was like, you know, Disney option option Phineas and Ferb. If 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 it goes to series, are you going to come back and work with me? And he said, Yeah, yes. That sound you see here right now is the sound of me packing. And uh, I think and, the only person more eager to get back here was my wife. <laughs> but when we got together, we were both a little trepidatious. Like, oh, you know, it's been like. 12 years since we've worked together I, I hope it's as good as I remember and we got back to and as soon as we got in a room together with, with, a, with a typewriter it was like oh yeah oh yeah this, this really works oh, right. typewriter? The, the first thing <laughs> that's what I hear typewriter you did, you did, I got like two class for fax machine they are yes. like what is well, that? <laughs> you know when you said that I realized you know when I was in college a fax machine had not yet oh. been invented 
<laughs> it's like, and now it's already so old that these kids, these people don't even know what that is anymore. There used to be a time like, before computers, yes, <laughs> and VCRs. Uh, but, but Dan, let's let's start with you, and then uh, Swampy. Yeah. What was some of the early stuff you were doing? Uh, Animation-wise, yeah. What or what well, did you grow up in? Well, you know, I, writing I, I, and what were you into? I, you know, I, I saw the movie Jaws and then Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and realized that I really wanted to make movies. Mm-hmm. And I had been uh, sort of a, I'd been a child prodigy artist. I'd, you know, I'd sort of drawn professionally when I was like twelve. Wow. Um, uh, but like fine art, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and then uh, uh, and then I, I applied to several film schools. One of, one one of which was USC, which is where I ended up going. Uh, the other was uh, Cal Arts. Uh, the film department there, and they sent me a note because I included some of my art in with the with my portfolio, and they sent me a note saying, you know, we haven't decided on the on the film school yet, but we showed some of some some of the materials to the animation department, and they'll take you right now, oh, wow. and they are the the you know the best animation school probably in the world, sure. and I was like the best animation school in the world. I, I don't have any desire to work in animation. And I just threw, threw away that letter. And then, you know, year, years later, uh, you know, because at the time there was nothing really great happening in animation. There, it was, you know, the, the Black Cauldron days is yeah. what we call it. Cause, <laughs> dark of times. Movie. Yes, it was the dark times yeah. in the empire. And uh, <laughs> it was... Uh, it, it was. It was when I was in school. They started doing, you know, like Little Mermaid and The Simpsons, and they, 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 they were starting to do these really cool things in animation. Suddenly, it was like, oh, okay, this is something I could actually draw and use filmmaking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I got a job. You know, I was doing a lot of freelance art just to to, to pay the bills and stuff. But but I had I hit this sort of dry spell for a while, and I really needed a job. And I got hired to write a slasher film and work on The Simpsons in the same week. Wow! And I did both those things. So so so, so for the for the first month, I was learning all day how to how to basically do animation, which I'd never really done before, um, and and to work. In a in a studio with you know with with people and learn how to draw these characters and stuff all day and then I'd come home and I'd write ten pages of a of a slasher wow. movie at night and uh, and when I when I turned it in I got paid like five thousand right. dollars which was a lot of money totally. to me at the yeah. time uh, I, I was told that I could direct it if I wanted to what. <laughs> Who, who and, these and, and, <laughs> well, it was somebody that you know, like a friend of mine had done a lot of stuff with, and, and, and I had yeah. storyboarded some stuff for them, and I, you know, like everything I'd done for them, they okay. liked so much, and that's how I got to write it. And then they were like, you know, it's it's just this low budget movie. If you want to direct sure. it, this could be your the first thing you direct. He came and, cheap, I think. And I realized though that that all the time I'd spent in live action, I could count the people that I had met in live action that I didn't know from before. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I'd met in live action that I really liked and felt like I could just go have lunch with and then relax and have a good time with, I could count them on, on two hands. But, you know, it, maybe I might have had to take off one shoe. But that, but that was it, you know. And, uh, and I realized that I was, working at The Simpsons, I was suddenly in this whole building full of people that I really liked. And it was actually a party at Swampy's place that really changed my mind because I went to this party that, that's sort of an industry party. It was all animators and uh and i went there and nobody nobody felt desperately 
you know, pitching their resume to me or figuring out whether I could help their career or anything like that, like all of the live action parties are. Yeah. And, and I was like, this, and I was like, this is a real party. I, this is just people getting together and having fun. And, uh, and I felt so great afterward. And it's like, and I just, you know, I told a friend of mine, my friend who had introduced me to the, this producer, who was also a director, I say, you know, do you want to direct this? Because I don't, I don't, I think I don't want to do this. And uh, and you know now, and he made millions of dollars. <laughs> so it'll, it'll happen. Not on that movie, but since then, you know. So. Uh, uh, and I would imagine you know. doing starting out doing that character design stuff mm-hmm. um, was a, and writing the script at the same time was a pretty good crash course in directing eventually. Um, yeah, yeah, but I'd done a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of amateur filmmaking. I really understood oh, right. uh, filmmaking by that point. Mm-hmm. I'd, you know, I'd done done things at USC. I went to USC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many, many years before you. <laughs> um, and uh, I had, you know, I I had a lot of experience on that on that side mm-hmm. as well by that time. Uh, so. That's that's so funny because I think you're a very good artist. That you would yeah. maybe not be an artist. And just like, well, I sort of burned out on the on the fine art. I used to do like limited edition pen and ink, uh, you know, animals and scenery, like almost photorealistic. And I really burned out on that. And it, actually, it was cartooning that got me back into drawing at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because because I I just done so much of it, and 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 I was a little bit of a freak, uh, you know, in in the in the in the southeast. And uh, <laughs> it's very and, similar here. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a freak here, but uh, um, but I literally I stopped drawing for like two years, mm. and and then I was at at, uh, at, a, at the, the first college I went to was uh, University of South Alabama, USA, and uh, <laughs> and they had a they had an ad in the paper for a campus cartoonist. They were looking for a campus cartoonist. So I was like, well, I'm I can I can write a joke and I can I can draw. I should try to do that. And I drew like two or three comics and just like immediately ca- had these these characters and they they bought them and I was doing that every week and then when I went to USC I did it every day wow uh, Mark Ordesky from Fine Line uh, uh, Films who who produced uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was was the editor who hired me to do it at USC <laughs> strangely oh, enough and that actually taught me how to draw and write and structure yeah, a joke yeah, yeah. visually and, uh, and but that that's one funny thing though is like I feel like in writers, I can't draw at all, and and especially when I first started writing an animation, you'd have a story meeting, and there'd be like artists in the meeting, and they just sort of like doodle, and they just have all these drawings, and at the end of the day, they just sort of like throw out the drawings. It's like you can't throw these out; these are like amazing drawings that I'm just gonna keep. So I was this like weird hoarder in my office, and I was posted picking up the floor of the yeah, going through garbage. <laughs> Yeah, the floor of the animation studio is littered with drawings that I know people would just think are amazing, and they're just post-it notes and things. Yeah, just I I don't know. I I think of it as like a fuck you. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna do it and throw it out. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't care. I can do it any second of any day. It's so easy for us. This (laughs) is what we think of it. Now, you don't funny. see us writing scripts on post-it notes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do. Yeah. I do. I, like, write a page and I'll be like, fuck you. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm like, nobody, nobody cares. I never thought I could do this for a living draw. I mean, I, I started out wanting to get into architecture. That was my only training in, in drawing. And I always doodled and I always drew cartoons, but I never thought there was any place for me in that world, which is how I took... I mean, I've had every job... The list is kind of ludicrous, and I know people have thought that I'm just making stuff up. But I what kind of stuff? 
He was a hitman for a while. Just briefly, very brief. <laughs> now I was I did I did concrete work. I at one point made fiberglass boats and race car bodies. I was a janitor, bartender. Uh, I serviced ATM machines for Bank of America. I was uh, telephone sales for imprinted ballpoint pens. I mean, it's just... And I forget some of the stuff I did until things will come up. And I go, oh, yeah, I did that for a couple of months. I tried everything and, uh, and then ended up falling into the computer industry. Mm-hmm. And, and the only reason I'm in animation is because I quit one day because I just thought if I do this for another day, this my life will be over. Mm. Can't take it anymore. And just quit. And a buddy of mine said, I've seen your work. Why don't you get into animation? And the appeal to animation for me was it wasn't computer executiving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he helped me get a portfolio together. And within three months, I had a job on The Simpsons. And I remember at the end of the first week, (laughs) a big pay cut. And I thought, this is the greatest thing in the whole world. <laughs> that they pay me to do this is astonishing and wonderful. And, <laughs> and so I spent the, you know, the next year or two trying to figure out what every other person's job was sitting next to me. Hmm. And when I ended up over at, at Rocco's Modern Life writing, it was simply because I'd gotten used to people saying... You know, we need storyboard artists and going, yeah, I can do that. Really? I remember my first storyboard job was because a guy came in and said, we're about done with the design phase. I took a freelance gig between uh, Simpson seasons. And he said, we're looking for board artists. And I just went, yeah, okay, board artists. What do you charge? And I thought, I don't know. What am I making now? Double that. And at the time, it was like 900 a week. And he went, oh, great. Okay, can you start Monday? And I went, sure. And a buddy of mine, Kevin Altieri, who was working on Batman, I remember calling him and saying, hi, Kev, can you teach me how to storyboard? And he went, sure. And then I said, yeah, by Monday. <laughs> and he was kind. He said, uh, I'll teach you how to not get fired on Monday, and then we can see if we can stretch it from there. And, you know, that's how I got into boarding. So when the writing gig came The pointy up, end of the pencil goes towards <laughs> yeah. the paper. Start easy. And, uh, and, Did you and enjoy it? it Did, was it, you know, pushing a different button for you? Than Thrilled the kind me. Of... I just all of a sudden realized, you know, for me, it was the closest I, I could get to directing at that hmm. time. And all of a sudden, I was in control of all those shots. And I found it fascinating. And I just loved... You know, and that's when I learned. I went and consumed books and looked at movies. I remember just completely changing the way I looked at every film. Because all I did was then deconstruct it. Why did he go to that shot? How many fast are the shots? You start thinking about it. I became consumed with it. And it was the most fun I'd ever had at any job in my whole... Even better than making fiberglass race car bodies. <laughs> was <Yeah. laughs> much more fulfilling. What's a, it's so fascinating to me. I mean, that storyboarding seems like such a valuable tool. A thing that a lot of writers walk into any kind of writing room needing to learn, new writers need to learn, is structure. And that seems like it's just an amazing way to learn structure. Uh, you know, the jokes and the dialogue, all that stuff comes later and, you know, comes easy to some and more difficult to others. But structure can be so tough. I, I would imagine this is such a great way to learn that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, um, and, and it's nice getting to do it in when we first started doing it in 11-minute bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it you know, it really gives you a simple way to learn how to pace a story, you know, how to find those moments. And, 
And it was so, so much less intimidating than write a movie. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 11 minutes. I can make people laugh and get a basic story. You know, rabbit needs to get a cross road. Crazy prospector stops rabbit. You know, it was real basic cartoon <laughs> stuff. And you can learn from there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We, we made a movie for the channel uh, just uh, last year. Yeah. And we tried to do it the same way we did the 11 minutes. We sort of, you know, like we, we did a very detailed outline and then gave bits to each, <laughs> each team. And I would probably not do that again. Yeah. Because, because they would take their bits and they would start, you know, doing what they do, which is like, you know, tangenting and tangenting and tangenting. And if only for the fact that we threw away so much really funny stuff just to get the story working so that, so that it was constantly moving forward and, and, and getting to an end before a six-hour sure. movie. Uh, you know, that was the most heartbreaking stuff because they would pitch stuff and you would just be crying, laughing, and then you get sort of when you start compiling, you're like, oh god, I got to lose all, you know, like this 60 pages I have to lose, and it's brilliant stuff, and I can't put it anywhere else because it's locked to this story. But the nice thing is, is they've given it to us. We own it, you know, really? forever, <laughs> so we can use it when we want to. <laughs> ah, <laughs> the next gig. <laughs> Um, Megan, talk to us a little bit. I, I want to talk about ponies first, and then we'll move to some other stuff. But what are some of the specific challenges as well as the uh, joys of writing that show and, and supervising the writing of that show? Um, well, we I guess one of the challenges is that it, it does have to, for the most part, have a really strong takeaway or lesson. <laughs> Um, that has to be built into the story in a way that doesn't feel like, here's your lesson, kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that can be a challenge, but it's a fun challenge, and it's actually something that I think when we accomplish it, it's really rewarding because it is something at the end of the day, you're like, this actually kind of it means something. And a, a kid who's watching it um, can really take something away from this, and it's like a positive thing to put out there in the world. And I think that's why a lot of the writers that we have really like working on it is because they feel like I'm, I'm creating something that is like good for kids and they can actually like learn from it and maybe it'll make them better uh, sure. adults. Um, but uh, I, every time I sit down to write something, I feel like I have never written anything before <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We hear that right once in a while. Sta- right when I start, yeah. it really is. It's like, have you ever done this before? Because you're having the hardest time at this and you shouldn't be good at this by now. Right, yeah. And then once you get into a rhythm and you find certain things, then you're like, oh, yes, I have done this before. I know sort of what I'm doing yeah, here. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, every time I start, I know that it, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's that blank that blank page mm-hmm. is always a is always a challenge, um, and that's going to be true of anything of, you work on. <laughs> of anything I work on, it won't matter. It will haunt you your whole. It life. will haunt me my whole life. I'll always just. But but you do find that when you hit on the thing that works, mm-hmm. it's easy. Because I know whenever we're in a room and we're just talking in circles and talking in circles, you're like, we're talking in circles because this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. If yeah, it were yeah. right, we would all of a sudden just be throwing jokes out there Absolutely. and know every story. But you just get into that rhythm. When, when you're having a great time in the room, it shows up on it, the, totally. yeah. Yeah. the screen. Totally. Yeah, well, you know, there's that saying that you know, the, the blank page is God's way of telling you it's not so easy to be God. <laughs> <laughs> but... But it's also the, the blank page is also God's way of telling you how much fun it is to be God once once you start <laughs> filling it up. That it is it is the most yeah. amazing. It you will have those moments where you're just like, oh, I'm so frustrated by this, and uh, and then you just sit back and you're just 
you have to kind of stop yourself and go, my job is just to make up stuff. Yeah. That's what I do. And I, they're paying yeah. me and money for it. And they're paying me money to yeah. This is the greatest job that you could ever have. I mean, I remember when I first came out to interview for the, the Disney Fellowship, and I was sitting waiting, and there were some other people uh, sitting out there, and they were having this really intense conversation about these people and all this stuff. And then I, it all of a sudden hit me. They are talking about made-up people. <laughs> this is awesome. I have to get... To, these are grown-ups. Yeah. And especially on a show, you know, being on an animated show, where you will get in these, like, really intense comments. Well, what is Twilight going to do? I just don't feel like that's going to motivate her to be hit. And then you just stop and you go, I... This is a group of grown-ups having this intense conversation about cartoon ponies. This is awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. So. That's great. Uh, and the same question I would ask to both of you guys, what were some of the fun uh, of working on Fosters and what were some of the challenges? Because that is such a fun show. Uh, and, and, you know, it ran for a while, too, didn't it? It ran for seven, yeah. 75 yeah. half-hour yeah. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine generating story could have been tough. Yeah, well, I came in in third season, which is a wonderful time to come into a show. I recommend that highly. Because it's kind of like first and second season, they've kind of like you're working out the kinks, and then you've kind of figured out there's just a lot more toys to play with, like toys and characters. Sometimes literally. Literally (laughs) toys to play with. Um, I talk like that sometimes too. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, the show, for people who don't know it, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends is about a bunch of characters that uh, a bunch of imaginary friends what happened okay wait I'm gonna pitch it ready as if it's my show yeah, well, give us the elevator pitch there we are yeah, yeah. In- <laughs> that'd be great if I try to take credit from Craig and everyone's like we can look that up that's not true <laughs> um, be it. so it's um, when kids make imaginary friends uh, when they outgrow their imaginary friends these friends go to live at a house called Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and they try to get adopted by other kids because why make up a friend when you have all these other <laughs> friends to adopt? So the, the great thing for the writer is like basically anything you can think of is in this show, yeah. uh, is in this house rather. And uh, I remember this one scene where, it's funny, all my scripts end up being short for some reason and I always, the line producer would always come to me and just be like, you just have to add two minutes. Uh, awesome. Which That's sounds, it, yeah, kind of, but then you're kind of like, well, I don't want to break anything. Uh, but I remember this one moment I had, so I just had to add two minutes to the show. So, because you don't want to slow things down mm-hmm. and just be like boring. But so I had this scene where the main character ran by a rock uh, imaginary friend, a paper imaginary friend, and a scissors imaginary friend. <laughs> and they were all trying to make a decision. <laughs> and it kept being a tie, like over and over and over again for two minutes. <laughs> So that's how I solved that little problem. Yeah. Um, that's a great bit. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, but that, I mean, that whole show was so much fun. It was yeah. such a joy. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone was really supportive. And Craig McCracken taught me a lot about story, and mm-hmm. he just has this great story sense, and um, would just know the right direction to take things and made decisions. It's always a wonderful quality yes. in a boss yeah. to just make Absolutely. decisions instead that's, of going this that's way. That's what your, your job is as a, as a boss, okay. as a director or anything, is to yeah. make decisions, make them early. Mm. And, yeah. you know, because then if it's the wrong decision, you have time to change it. Yeah. But if you hem yeah. and haw and hem and haw and make decisions, the, the, the process doesn't move forward. You won't all. find out it's the wrong decision until you make it. And yeah. the sooner you make it, the sooner you'll know if sure. it's right yeah, or yeah, wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I want to talk just briefly about uh, uh, Out of Jimmy's Head. Yes. Uh, 
Well, <laughs> do you want to? I don't know. Very brief. No? Um, we well, can cut this out right now. Um, this is what I'll say about out of Juvie's head. It was a wonderful... It was, I got a lot out of the experience. I was an executive producer for the first time. It was the first show I created. Um, it was live action, so I got to participate in um, like production meetings and casting and editing. and I got to have a piece in everything. Uh, it was not the vision... <laughs> That my friend Adam and I intended to make, um, mm-hmm. I think, for a lot of reasons. Where did it run? It's a Cartoon Network. Oh, but okay. your uh, experience is much like America's yes, experience. Uh, <laughs> yes. Where, where did it run? <laughs> um, did that exist, or is yeah. that something yeah, you just yeah, made up right yeah, here yeah, on, yeah. The, on the panel? Um, so. I, I think it was, it was one of those... It's, I think you find this in our jobs, where you don't always have... You're not always on the best jobs. Like, sure. Um, I'll say the nice thing is after the show, I got to go back to Foster's Home for Magic <laughs> Friends and write the finale of that series oh, wow. and everything, which was like this nice like homecoming <laughs> for me. Um, but I think you have to kind of make a choice when you're in that position where you're like, I can be angry about this mm-hmm. and I can be frustrated that there's people above me that are the ones making decisions that I don't agree with or I can get the most out of this experience as possible. Mm-hmm. And that was just the kind of approach mm-hmm. I took and it sort of mellowed me out a little Absolutely. bit, because it was like this. Ama- like I was twenty eight at the time, yeah. which I feel like is pretty young to be creating mm-hmm. a show and, and be able to be in all these meetings. And it and I just did a pilot, a live action pilot for PBS, um, that I use all those skills. And right. and there were people, there were writers on the show about a Jimmy's head that I've worked with over and over again that I I met on that show that mm-hmm. have been I've had great experiences That's with. Great. So. So, yeah, I mean, good comes out of these things, yeah, even if it's I mean, I not think, what you wanted it to be. Yeah, and I think it's also like the TV show, it has, there's, the other thing about Out of Jimmy's Head was it was the first live action show that Cartoon Network was go- doing, and so, and it was Cartoon cre- Network. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there were people that were unhappy about that. Um, and, and they had gone to me and my uh, partner on it saying, like, we want to make a live action show, so... It's not my fault. <laughs> I made the live no, it's like no one's blaming yeah, you. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Right. For the record, um, I just want to talk very briefly, uh, Dan and Swampy, about the development of Phineas and Ferb. Uh, was there, you know, what did you bring to them in the fir- to Disney in the first place? Did you take it elsewhere, or were you already working? We took for it everywhere. Did you? Um, it was uh, 1993 when oh, wow. Dan did the first drawing of Phineas on a paper tablecloth really? at a restaurant in Pasadena. And did you know who this kid was when you did that? Yeah, he just sort of jumped out as a specific character because of all his angles and you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 sort of the sharpness of him sort of dictated who he was. <laughs> and, I, and, and, uh, and I immediately knew his name was Phineas for some reason. And, and Ferb is named after a friend of ours. But I, I, I took it, I, I tore it out. I have it framed in my office right awesome. now. I lost it for a long time, but found it just like right after the show got picked up, wow. you know, in, in a <laughs> box in my garage. And, and, uh, uh, and, you know, we so, sometimes it the, to a company twice. Really? Yeah, we uh, Fox Kids had it and was 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 gonna gonna put it on their next next season. We went in for like several meetings. Went with them. near the top through Nickelodeon, and then they got bought out, bought out, and it all went away. And you know, the, there's it's a it's a very um, heartbreaking process to get almost there, almost there, almost there. And and I really think honestly, the reason that it that Disney actually 
put money towards getting a, a pilot was not that the show was uh, you know that that they saw the brilliance in the show at all. It was that that, that I was the guy from Family Guy. I was you know director yeah. and storyboard supervisor and Family Guy, and they and they were like, oh, this guy can run a show. I think I, I really think a lot of that comes down to do, whether they feel comfortable having putting you in charge of a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. you know, before you know, and then then and it's big once you do the pilot, it's based on on how good the pilot is. But getting to that point is really how much you can inspire the confidence in in them. And a lot of the times, it's what you've done before. One of the cool things is uh, going back and looking at the original pitch material. Mm-hmm. It looks almost exactly like what we have now. Really, there's some hair color changes. <laughs> Um, and a couple what? of characters that we've added and a couple of characters we took away. Mm-hmm. But even from the very first pitch that we did uh, to what went on the air, there Almost is exactly. no difference. Wow. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I've always said I'm, I'm kind of glad in hindsight <laughs> now that we didn't sell Phineas till we did. Mm-hmm. If we just sold it back then... You um, might have, you know... This is the best piece of advice I ever got um, in, in the industry... Uh, when we first sold the show, they didn't want us to write it. And I called up a friend of mine, uh, and, and what it really came down to is they had never seen our writing credits. Mm-hmm. I'd, I had directed several pilots for them that other people had written, but mm-hmm. you know, so they knew me as a director, but not as a writer. Um, but I was like, you bought the show? And, you know, you know, and so I called a friend of mine who'd done every kind of deal in Hollywood that you can. He's made like 20 feature films, and he's been executive producer of like four different shows and stuff. And I talked to him, and he said, um, here's the thing, Dan. The most amount of power you can have in this town as a creative person, as somebody who doesn't actually hold the purse strings, is to maintain the ability to be okay to walk away from something. Mm-hmm. And if you can maintain that ability and know when to use it, they will, you know, because let's say, you know, the executives, and I, I don't want to say anything really bad about the executives because I think one of them's hiding back there <laughs> right now. Uh, but uh, uh, but, it, it, but if, if they give you a note on something and, and you say, oh, no, I, I'd rather not do this show. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather go back to Fox, for instance. <laughs> and and, and uh, they will they will bend over backwards to keep you because they don't feel strongly enough about their note to lose their job over it. And if you, and if you, can, and, and if you know when to use that, and I, I really only used it a couple of times. I, I used it um, when, they, when the pilot tested through the roof and they were like, like uh, oh, yeah, suddenly they were like, I think they smelled blood in the water, like, like, like ooh, this could be a hit. I want to put my fingerprints all over it. And, and suddenly they, I was in like five or six different meetings about changing the, changing the, the design of the characters, changing the color of this. Could, we you, have like, a stack of alternate Phineas and Yeah, that were just horrible. They were just horrible. Kids, you know, wear backpacks. And yes. Why, what, what, what is Ferb wearing? I don't, I don't get what he's wearing. I, couldn't, I can't imagine Zach and Cody wearing that. We got that <laughs> That was the note. And we, we got I remember note. you just stop and look up and you go, yeah. oh, really? And I, and I <laughs> oh, literally, wow. I took, took one of them aside after, after like the third or fourth meeting like this and I said, you know, you guys can make whatever show you want because you bought it. It belongs to you. It, you know, it, it, you own it. Mm-hmm. But if you want me to come work on it, it's going to have to be the show I pitched you. Otherwise, quite frankly, I'll make more money if I stay at Fox <laughs> this year. And they, and they were like, oh, Oh, and suddenly all of those meetings disappeared, and suddenly, and, and we actually put the show on the air the way the, the, you know the way the pilot was. We literally just cut two minutes out of it so, so that it would be air- airable, 
And uh, it's nice that we were older and yes. crotchety and actually had really good jobs. Yeah. But <laughs> we kind of had that chat. It's like, well, can you go back to your other job? Yeah, but like, yeah, my, we're making good money. Years old okay. Exactly. Well, 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 my buddy said, you know, you work like twenty years sometimes to get to the point of of selling selling your first show. Somebody, you know, like this, and then people will say, well, I think you should do this. I think you should do this. I think you should do this. And if you take all those notes, um, the show may not be the show you want that you even wanted to do. Mm-hmm. To, to do. Yeah. And uh, I think we were old enough to sort of know that at, 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 at the time and just, just say, you know, know where the line in the sand was uh, to be drawn. And, uh, and the thing is, once you've worked 25 years, once you've gotten to that point, Selling the next show is not 25 more years away, and that's what, how people feel. It's like, I can't, I can't let this opportunity go because I've been working for so long. I can't wait another 25 years. I'll be 50, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but I don't think it's that. I think it's, you know, when, when you get to that point, the next time somebody's going to sell, you know, like, like uh, is going to give you money to, cre- to create something is much closer than that because you've just reached a different level. You also get better with, with some of the notes we got as you get older and have been through the process, you realize that the note they're giving you mm-hmm. isn't really the issue. It's just, you know, what is that saying? You know, where is there a disconnect that's causing them to tell you that Perry should have a girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever it may be, and we, and we get this a with lot. a lot of writers that they get really angry that somebody told them some specific thing, and it's mm-hmm. like you really got to let that go. Mm-hmm. What they're telling you is somehow, right at this moment, they became disconnected from your story for whatever yeah. reason. They're not an audience that, member like yeah. any other audience. Member. Not that giving Phineas a hat is what you should go do. <laughs> that won't but solve why the on earth would they give you that note? What made them yeah. think that all of a sudden Phineas needed a hat? Right. And if you can do that, it's much easier to, mm-hmm. to take notes and then come up with a solution that actually solves the real issue. Yeah. What were the characters that you took away uh, from that original pitch? They were three bugs. Obviously. That, uh, we, <laughs> I also, I I mean, that. we were big fans of Rocky and Bullwinkle, and one of the things we thought of was having not only the Perry and, and Doofenshmirtz story, <laughs> but then at certain points cutting away to these bugs that lived in the same world and were also affected by the different and the only ones who were kind of aware that it was a show i'm I'm glad we cut it (laughs) i'm glad we cut it just to to lessen the level in in 11 minutes what we needed (laughs) was to service another storyline in our show four or five is good (laughs) about writing um when especially from non-artists when you're going and pitching shows do you bring like a a story person with you like an artist with you or how, how do you sort of do that um, uh, no, I have not. I don't draw at all. So I'm with, with Tim, where when artists are, like, just throwing away these drawings, I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, and, uh, and it's not, in, in pitching animation, it's not necessary to bring in the drawings. Um, and sometimes um, they, I mean, if you have people that are really good artists and can do that, then that's awesome, and they can see the characters. But it's not necessary because if you have a good, strong concept... That's what they're buying more than the art, I would say. Um, I guess depending. But um, that, uh, that if you had great designs, but there's no character there, there's no story there, it, they'll be like, those are great drawings, and we'll hire you to draw some other things, but they're not going to buy the, the idea for the show unless there is an idea for the show, because they can bring in... Artists, really talented artists um, later, but if you have the great designs, but 
And what I always doing. say, if you, yeah. you, you, you need to sell the show using the minimum amount of materials necessary Absolutely. to do so, because you never know what weird thing will put people off. It's like, I've had a meeting where the person has said, and I don't remember what the specifics, but it's like, oh, you know, I don't really like blue dogs. And it's like, that's fine. Uh, it's just a character on the page. He can be green. It can be a cat. It really doesn't matter. We're buying into the characters. And we had this whole meeting. We got to the end and said, yeah, but I really don't like blue dogs. Because he's seen the blue dog on the piece right. of paper. And you forever know. that will be yeah. blue dog. And you're doomed. Yeah. yeah. So a really good character design for them to look at that could get them excited is going to help you. But a bad character design, it's, it, it, and it doesn't always help you. Sometimes they'll want to go in a different direction anyway. But, but a bad character design will poison that idea in their brain forever. Yeah. And so you better be real confident about the character design and the, the you know the design. You know, like if you, if you get Craig McCracken to draw your your character, then that's you know that's a good thing. But uh, but uh, but. You know, don't get the guy on the corner if who works for yeah. UPS who says, oh, I can draw. <laughs> and if you don't have a particular vision that's necessary for that character, um, just from a sales standpoint, al- allow them to feel some ownership hmm. by bringing in the artists that they're comfortable with and creating something. So if that's not a, 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 a necessary integral component to what you've written, don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I've, I've sold uh, pitches before. I've never had uh, artwork. But um, I don't know. If, this always happens to me. Is I always have like you have like three or four like really solid ideas, and you always have like one idea that's sort of like this toss-up <laughs> idea. And every single they meeting, always go for the toss-up yeah, toss idea. Up. But I think it's also because it's yeah, I'm I'm always much more like agreeable in that because I'm always yes. just like oh it's about like two brothers on a road trip towards Earth, and they're like could it be a brother and a sister? But like I don't know what the show is. Sure. <laughs> that sounds better to me. Would you so would you buy it if it was a brother and a sister? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it sure yeah. can be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that always happens, yeah. Uh, I was wondering if Tim and Megan could, could talk a little bit about how uh, Adventure Time and My Little Pony really seem like they've kind of embraced the sort of like do-it-yourselfness of the internet and also sort of remix culture and just your reactions being actual writers of those shows to sort of the fan reaction that you've gotten. Fan reaction. Fan Let's reaction. get into it, you guys. Let's do it. Um... <laughs> I, I think it's awesome, and I think that, uh, especially with My Little Pony, um, it's just a testament that to, to Lauren and what she created, that she created a world that inspires other people to create, um, which I think is, is just amazing. Um, that, that, yeah, like that people see it, and it makes them want to see these characters expanded in other worlds and other mediums, even with the, the music and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I'm a fan of it. I think it's, it's really cool. Yeah, I, um, I, it's amazing that people know what Adventure Time is, and it's such a weird, <laughs> it's such a weird show. Like even when I was on it, I was like, "This is so weird," and, and like it was great in the writers' room because they're always like, "Weirder, weirder." I'm I'm curious about that actually. Like, was it a moving target? Was it an unclear target? No, because you know, there's an example. I there's like a. I feel like there was one story meeting I had where I started to like get what it was because it really Adventure Time still is like a traditional story like they really do break it out to like act one two and three and there's an arc but then the great thing about Adventure Time is sometimes at the end of the arc like there's a story about where Finn who's the main character of this dog has to um, learn the 
the theme is like uh, you can't always help everyone, right? So he's like goes into this village and everyone's like fighting and he's trying to help like individual people. And then he's slowly learning the lesson that Jake tells me, you can't help everyone. And then at the end, so that's like normally an episode would end. He'd be like, I learned that, but I'm a better person. But then Adventure Time's like, yes, I fucking can. (laughs) And then he helps everyone. (laughs) And like everyone's happy. So, and then, so like that's, you know, you kind of like, it's a little bit of like knowing what the story is so you can break it, you know? And I also, and also like, there's, there's like I remember this. This didn't get in an episode, but it was one of my favorite moments. Where there's you're telling a story, and it's like a breakup story, which we've all like told a million times. But um, the story, so Jake and his dog Finn like broke up, and we just needed this scene where they like made up, and it was a speech. And so I was pitching that. I don't even know if I was pitching. It was like someone in the room was pitching that. Um, how about it's the speech from when Harry met Sally, and so it's word for word. Um, like it's uh, like I really miss you, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve, and it's not because I, it's not because I'm lonely, and it was like word for word, like uh, when Harry met Sally. Because you're the first person I want to see in the movie. Yeah, and the other person I want to see in the morning. Yeah, and them. then you just substitute yes. Jake Finn like, in, in there. But it like totally works because the audience and even little kids like they just know, oh, that's where Finn and Jake are making up, and now they're friends again. Cool, let's go. So it's like you still need that story beat where they make up, but you can just joke the hell out of it and yeah. make it really weird and bizarre. <laughs> and so, yeah. That's amazing. So, but you always started from a place of like, here's a regular story. <laughs> now let's fuck around. So, <laughs> in a creepy whisper. Yeah. <laughs> weird voices. Right, he's doing it. In your uh, writing narratives for your animation, what were some of the hurdles of creating the feeling of disbelief for your audience? Like, what were some of the... The feeling of disbelief or the, yeah. or the suspension of disbelief? The suspension of disbelief. Sorry. Because uh, the feeling of disbelief is that, you know, there's a, there's, there's a platypus who's a secret agent. Thing that, that sort of went there. That always seemed pretty yeah. normal to me. That could be my issue. Uh, you know, you, you just try to make the characters seem the characters. You, you, you try to think of them as real people, and, and, and we do. We, we, you know, we're always saying, yeah, but Phineas wouldn't say that. You, know, you sort of come up with rules for what they will and won't do and, and, and who they are, and I think that that, that helps. And, and kids really embrace all these characters. The that, stronger you know, like and, they know who they are, and, they, and, they, and they've made them their own. It's, the stronger uh, and more real these characters are, um, the more you can get away with uh, and, and everybody will buy into it and want to, and, and that becomes believable. Once you have your characters doing anything or saying anything, it stops working. But as long as Phineas is Phineas, he can be on a spaceship and you just buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's great, yeah. Uh, we have time for one more. Uh, this is a question for Megan, but I'm sure all of you have run into this issue, and I'm, I'm curious... How do you manage working on a show um, as, as complicated as My Little Pony and as brilliantly written, as I'd like to point out, when your team and the people working on it are, have such physical distance? I know uh, the, the acting team and, and the production team is in Canada. Uh, you're, down, you're here in L.A. How do you manage that? How do you uh, get everyone together when you don't have them all in the same room? We can just bounce ideas off freely. How do you make it work remotely? Yeah, this is a reality of animation that we haven't even touched on. Um, the internet. <laughs> Asked and answered. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, we we do. I do um, bounce ideas off of of the director and 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 ask him like, oh, I'm you know, 
not sure about this and what are your thoughts and and um they bring something so different to the table than i than i do because i'm very uh, i'm i feel like my job is structure um that i'm there to structure a story that makes sense and um they and the board artist and the director if will bring something to that structure and, and plus it, as they say, but that's kind of what I'm there to do. And so if I, but then if I have questions or, or things related even to the mythology of the show that he may have a deeper understanding of than even I do since he had, he's been on it full-time from the beginning, that we will we'll bounce ideas uh, back and forth. Um, just, yeah, just shooting each, other, shooting each other emails, and then I can see the, the animatics. They, there's a place that I will not tell you where it is. <laughs> to see the, the animatics online. Um, uh, so I can, you know, watch things and things, see how things are progressing. So it is, I mean, with, with technology today, it's so much easier. You know, Daniel, who's the composer, can send music to me that I can hear right away and give thoughts on, uh, or if he has questions about how to work lyrics in, into what he's working on. It's, it's so much easier to go back and, and collaborate that way. What is, what is the lag time on uh, Phineas and Ferb between you know, turning in we, the storyboards and from the st- animation? From from when we start down. writing, it's about 10 months yeah. for, okay. for, for, for each episode. For us, that, all that kind of comes together in the animatic. Mm-hmm. When we actually get to see the, you know, the black and white scribbles all put together two time. With, um, with voices and, voices and, and music, music and stuff. That's where it really kind of gets conformed. Um, and, and that's, you know, a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of redrawing, and a lot of rewriting all happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, we always ask this to end our panel. Um, we'll start with Tim, and we'll go down. What are you watching on television? What are you talking about with your wife and friends? Oh, um, What's getting you excited or inspired to write more television? Sure. Uh, I, I watch... Um, I mean, I try to watch all the animated shows just to keep abreast of like, mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, and I enjoy the. Face and Ferb and My Little Pony, um, but uh, I love Parks and Recreation. That is that's by far my favorite show. Uh, my favorite thing about that show is, which and these are shows I like to work on too, is like how positive the people are, yeah. and how like you really believe that they're they're friends. Mm-hmm. Like you watch some shows and you're like, I don't think you guys really <laughs> like each other, <laughs> but like that's um, that's one great thing about that, yeah. and, and it just has really hard, wonderful yeah. jokes. On it, yeah. so. Uh, I'll second that Parks and Recreation and, and same reason that it's just positive you just feel good when you're watching it it's <laughs> not like people just oh it's so funny because they're all jerks <laughs> um, and then uh, on the other end of the spectrum though uh, Breaking Bad just because I think it's, yeah. it's same, a, reasons. Uh, yeah. same reason same <laughs> reason yeah it's just so yeah, light hearted yeah. and fun maybe it's me I don't know um, but I just think every week of that show is like the best movie you've ever seen in your life it's just amazing so. totally Something. Um, yeah, it's that same comedy. Community, 30 Rock, Parks and Rec. Uh, I absolutely I love that Community is just a cartoon that shot live yeah. action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've, once they embraced that and went with it, it just tickles me pink. Yeah. Um, on the serious side, I, I never miss a house because yeah. I'm a Hugh Laurie freak. <laughs> and, uh, and then anything I can get off of BBC America, because after living in England for uh, almost. Well, six and a half years, 
I really like the comedy that comes out of there. Yeah, what kind so, of stuff did you enjoy there? We always uh, get some good recommendations. Mitchell from BBC. Webb look, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they also do Peep Show. Yeah. Those guys are great. Anything Simon Pegg ever did, uh, and Rowan Atkinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But they have a really great thing that they don't do over here, which is the mock game show. Um, they have Have I Got News for You and Never Mind the Buzzcocks and QI, which Stephen Fry does. Is Number Wang on that? Number Wang. (laughs) That was on Mitchell Webluck. That's Number Wang. And uh, and it's just an excuse to get a bunch of really witty people together Mm -hmm. and be witty. And they, you know, no script. It's just folks standing up and being spontaneously funny. And it takes such courage to do it. And when it works, it's just awesome. And I I miss those. I'll catch up with them on the net every so often. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Mm -hmm. we could get away with that here. Oh, the other ones I like are uh, are, uh, um, Mythbusters and Top Gear. Yeah, because those guys are living Phineas and Ferbs, <laughs> yes. and I, I can sit and watch those with my kid. And there's weirdly educational stuff in there. Yeah, uh, I I love Thirty Rock. I think Thirty Rock is yeah. brilliant. I, I I like Parks and Rec. I like I, I like everything that's been been mentioned. And House is probably the one of the maybe two dramas I watch. I think I watch The Big C too mm-hmm. when I get you know when I can fit the, fit the time in. But the show that's the most exciting to me right now is a show that was really faltering at the beginning of the season. And uh, yeah, it's New Girl, the Zoe, Zoe mm-hmm. Deschanel show. I think that once the Justin Long character mm-hmm. left, which was like, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the way into the, into the season. Now leaving Nerdist.com.